This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. So as expected, the Fed raising rates for the third time this year, reaffirming their outlook for further gradual hikes well into 2019. Uh, so a lot of stuff uh, going on. And, of course, we're going to have a press conference with Fed Chair Jay Powell. That will happen in 12 minutes' time. We'll take you live to the Federal Reserve to listen to that. In the meantime, let's get some analysis from Randy Anderson, Chief Economist at Griffin Capital, based in Los Angeles, in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York City on this Fed Wednesday. Randy, your thoughts, what it means uh, from the Fed in terms of uh, the impact on the economy, the impact on markets, and future Fed policy? Well, listen, thanks for having me. I think this uh, rate expectation was completely in line with expectations. Certainly the current data and a lot of the backward-looking data is strong. I mean, GDP numbers have been great. The employment market's great. I think the the more interesting question when you're looking at making investment decisions and making GDP decisions is what does it mean for the long term? We do have a lot of tailwinds that are, that are uh, reflected in this number. We have the tax reforms. You know, we've got government expenditures. And, you know, the economy's kind of really growing. We've got great consumer consumer confidence that's keeping retail sales growing. But the things that people aren't talking about, certainly they're the trade wars out there that everyone's speaking of. But LIBOR growing higher is going to be tough on corporations and companies. Um, We're starting to see corporations give guidance on earnings that are kind of back to 2016 levels. And when you're at full employment, uh, one of the interesting things is that it's really hard to have gas in your tank. And that's the big fuel for the economy. And we're largely at full employment. So the expectation showed up a little bit when you started looking at their 2021 growth forecast. We're a little bit, um, we're we're short-term bullish. We think the economy is strong. But we think when we get out to 19 and 20, because the consumer just has a little bit less gas in the tank, and that's going to continue to be more problematic with rate hikes uh, growing. We think 19 and 20 will be a little bit slower. So I think as the new data comes in, I think the market's more right. We'll probably get another rate hike this year, but I think that extra rate hike this year will, will end up coming back with one less rate rate hike when we go actually into 19, when the data starts to soften a little bit and some of the economic realities uh, come to play and some of the stimulus wears off. I want to bring in Francis Donald, head of macroeconomic strategy, Manulife Asset Management, joining us on the phone from Toronto. Francis, what did you make of the announcement? Not a big surprise, yet stocks are rallying uh, across uh, the U.S. equity markets. Why? I'm actually, the biggest surprise to me is that we're actually seeing a market move here. There's precious little in the statement and the projections. The only change, and really you can do control F, the only change is that they've removed the sentence, the stance of monetary policy remains accommodative. And the view is that this is a dovish move because it means, well, we've reached the neutral rate and therefore bars to to the next hikes are higher. But the problem is if you look at their forecast and you look at the rest of uh, what the docs are telling us, even though they've removed this line, it certainly hasn't changed their projection or their path of what they want to do next. 12 out of 16 are saying a December rate hike. They still have 
squeeze rate hikes in for 2019. So I'm tempted to face some of the devishness that we're seeing right off here and wait for that press conference in just a few minutes. Okay, so based on what you just said and maybe trying to make sense of what the Fed did today, what would be the question you need to get some clarification, a question you would pose to Jay Powell? Uh, you know, what kind of clarification do you want right now, uh, Francis? What I want to know is the removal of that sentence. Was that just marking to market? Were you just saying we're now at the neutral rate, so we just wanted to make that tweak to the conference? Are you trying to, to signal something about what you're going to do next? And my sense is that he's going to downplay this fairly significantly in the press conference. You know that Powell has not been a big fan of using R star and the neutral rate as gospel, and my sense is he's going to spend a good amount of time in his press conference trying to double down on that view. Randy, what what do you think? What's your question for uh, J-Pal? And you can't say the same thing as Francis. Oh, you can't hey. disagree with Francis. <laughs> I, I, I won't, but, uh, but, but, but Francis is, uh, is, is, is spot on. But listen, the questions I would want to ask is, it looks like you guys continue to sort of be Missouri in the show-me state in terms of the Fed. You continue like to look it. in the backward uh, rearview mirror, if you will, and they're just not taking the future into account. I mean, literally, they're, they, they are behind the curve. I mean, this is, this is going into one of the longest economic recoveries, albeit slow, but it's like if you're going for a really long journey down the road, I don't know the best time to shoot out your gas tank when that's kind of when you're at full employment uh, is when you want to take a long journey. So, you know, listen, I think that they're raising rates uh, around the seventh and eighth uh, inning of the economy. So I think they're going to have to come back when they see the data and they're going to have to pull some of this back. But this is very, very typical Fed. They're going to sound a little bit more hawkish, act a little bit more dovish. Uh, it's kind of always easier to pull your foot back off than push it back on. But I'd try to press them a little bit for what does he really think is going to happen going forward? What does he think uh, that corporate profits are start- starting to get downgraded? What does he think is going to happen with GDP when you're at full consent? And what really is some of the implications of this trade war? Is it a lot of just much ado about nothing? And um, we just got to notice a few minutes ago that we've now uh, are going to make an announcement about U.S. versus Mexico, and all of a sudden we'll try to bring in Canada in later. So what also about this geopolitical risk? I mean, they're really not saying much about it, but they're talking about all the good things, and all the good things are largely uh, have already come and gone. What about the risks that are out there that we're just not right. seeing? in the market. A very wise, very wealthy man recently said to me, I don't really care about the Fed. You know, uh, running a business um, cares about other things. Um, I'm just curious, Randy, especially when you've got a Fed that is so transparent. Uh, a lot of Fed uh, officials that get out there and speak, I feel, you know, uh, for better or for worse, we're fairly well managed in terms of expectations from the U.S. Central Bank. Um, so I guess what is it that we have to focus on here? Well, I think a couple things. Uh, when you're thinking about making investment decisions largely, it all goes back to fundamentals. Uh, regardless whether um, I'm right and the economy slows a little bit more, I still don't think we're close to recession. If the, if the Fed and others uh, sort of in the Trump camp are right and the economy grows a little faster, I, what, I, what I don't think is possible is to get multiple expansions in the equity market. Um, so what you really need to look for is companies that can really grow earnings. If you're looking at something like an alternative asset class like real estate, you know, can you grow earnings? What kind of assets can protect you if we get into an inflationary type environment? And then on the fixed income side, you got to say, listen, I got to focus on companies that can uh, increase their credit rating. I can focus on alternative credit where things um, other than duration become a larger driver of investment performance. So take the noise out of it, if you li- if, if you will, and focus on where we are, risk reduction, be, be defensive, and you'll you, it'll work out uh, in the end. 
So, Francis, pick up on that theme. Given what you see now in your analysis so far, how, if any, does it change your asset allocation for the balance of 2018 and, and into 19? Or what do you need to hear in order to make a significant change? Well, what matters to me is not what the Fed is going to do, but what the market has currently priced in and how that could change over the next year and a half. So the market is already looking at another hike in December and then two more next year. So what changes the market pricing? And my concern is that right now what we've seen in terms of trade wars is not big enough to actually impact the Fed or any other economist's forecast for growth. But if we get to the middle of December, we're heading into that December 19th meeting with the Fed, and it looks like the tariff rate will increase from 10% to 25%, that could be significant enough to give the Fed pause. And in that case, we could be talking about changes to the U.S. dollar, changes to the rate outlook, changes to the steepness of the curve. Um, But I don't think that repricing is going to happen between now and, and before December. And it may not happen at all. Randy, are we still in that sweet spot where, you know, this is what we want. We want the Fed to get back to normal, to feel comfortable about raising rates. It means the economy is on sure footing, uh, that we can do this. Because we're still talking about rates historically at a pretty low level. Uh, and we're not talking about half a point increases by the Fed. So is it? Is, do you agree with that, that this is what we kind of, you know, 10 years after the financial crisis, this is where we kind of... Hope to see the Fed by now. Well, you know, the, you know, I think it was a, an amazingly challenging test that uh, was put before them, and I think they did a great job in managing through it. Uh, nobody could get everything exactly right and exactly perfect, but we ha- we have managed to get some strong GDP. We've been able to get the economy back on track, and we don't have, uh, t- you know, we don't have too much inflation in the economy. So, um, yes, I, I, I do like it. I think what's going to happen though is that again, growth is going to slow a little bit. I think the inflationary pressures are going to grow quite a bit um, uh, over the next couple of years, which uh, is good for certain kind of assets. I think the sentiment has been grow, grow, grow since the, uh, uh, since the Trump election. And I think a little bit slower growth combined with a little bit higher inflation will trade the sentiment away from growth towards value stocks, more towards hard assets. Uh, but, you know, in general, um, I think the market is still in, in, in pretty good shape. It's just everything is priced a bit to perfection. So you got to be careful and you got to diversify. And again, look for those opportunities that are rifle shots uh, instead of shotgun approaches. This is what I love, Jason Kelly, about working at Bloomberg is you have we have wonderful colleagues who kind of are listening and saying, hey, you should ask this. Pim Fox weighing in and saying and reminding us that these low rates are causing a rush into things like leverage loans. Uh, isn't that riskier than kind of regular bonds? So I guess the bigger question is, isn't the Fed creating the next bubble with low rates? Francis, you take that. <laughs> That's a big question. I don't see evidence of that just yet, but we certainly need to be aware that if they don't move forward, then they could be creating bubbles in a whole host of spaces. And this has been a long-time theme for us, is do not underestimate the thirst of these central banks to normalize They're looking at growth that is probably going to decelerate in 2021. They told us that right now. They know that inflation is not going to surge meaningfully above 2%. Their projections are closer to 2.1%. What they do know right now is that they're going to have to get rates much higher if they want to reach a more normal path. And they have probably about 18 months to do that before we see the next downturn. Francis Donald, go ahead. No, ahead, I just Randy. thought the leverage loan question was uh, was an interesting one. Um, you know, a lot of that has to do with the strength of the economy and what it looks like. But, um, you know, 
I think that you know we have we have a portfolio that goes all the way from senior secured uh, bank loans that are high high quality credit that are adjustable that if rates rise they come along in pretty good shape. Right. They're senior secured. They look they look fantastic. And so while we have the ability to weigh in and uh, and actually go deep into the uh, to sort of the the, the direct origination loans, um, the the spread's not really there, and they're also a little bit covenant light. So you know in my view, just from an investment performance, you take yeah. extra risk when you get right. paid to take the risk. And, you're Randy, not really getting paid to take that risk today. We got to run. Randy Anderson of at Griffin Capital, Francis Donald at Manulife Asset Management. All right, so let's make some sense of what we just heard from Chairman Jay Powell. Much anticipated press conference. We know one person that was watching it keenly. Uh, back at the ranch, back in Bloomberg HQ, just a few blocks from us here in Midtown Manhattan. And that's Alex Harris uh, joining us from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers studio uh, in New York. So, Alex, uh, what jumped out at you there? Oh, man. Well, I will say, and <laughs> oh, I, joked, I, I joked with, with our producer, I said, you're going to make me watch the press conference when I could be taking a midday nap. Ah. Um, wow. I love the press conference. So, What's wrong with so you? He, here's my issue is that I watch these things and I get the sense that when these meetings where you know there's a press conference and a rate hike already coming, that they end up actually meaning less. And you know there there are a few things and and I think Powell actually did a really good job you know he removed they removed the accommodative language which I don't think was a surprise to anybody in the market at this point the analysis I read heading into the week was we're they're probably going to remove it um I think what came across to me in that presser though was he made it clear that the dots don't matter anymore, that, you know, the Federal Reserve, they are not soothsayers. They cannot see into the future, probably no longer than three to six months out, and that the dots really don't matter when you're looking at them at a long-term perspective. And I know there were people who were very excited about that 2021 dot. It doesn't matter, and I think the market has reacted accordingly. I've looked at Eurodollar futures curves, and they're telling me that it's two years know. away, right? Yeah, I mean, come on. There's so much people don't know what's going to happen in the second half of 2019, and you right. have two rate hikes priced in or so by the June meeting. But people are, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. I mean, you had Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan at one point saying, look, like fiscal stimulus is going to wear off at some point. And then, not to mention, I know Powell, Powell talked about fiscal policy, and this sort of jumped right. out to my colleagues and I, is that, you know, obviously we stay in our lane, but fiscal policy is going to end up at some point being a hindrance. And the way I see it is this, and we've been talking about it in the context of the midterms, is that it doesn't matter if Republicans retain control of Congress or the Democrats sweep in on a blue wave. Debt's going to go up. We're going to be issuing more because the Democrats are probably going to be looking for some sort of infrastructure program. You're going to get status quo from the Republicans, possibly tax cut 2.0. And all that supply that Powell was talking about that was weighing on repo rates and the Fed funds rate that's been pushing that Fed funds rate higher is going to end up really weighing on it and continuing to weigh on it because there's so much more debt coming. And that's going to challenge the Fed as they try to continue to control short-term interest rates. Well, how does it kind of handcuff the Fed's hands, potentially? You know, he talks about, Powell has talked about the toolbox and, and using whatever tools are available to them, but they've also talked about not having enough ammunition 
And that's where the concern is, is that if that fiscal policy becomes a hindrance, if the debt load becomes overwhelming at some mm-hmm. point, they might not have enough tools to keep their control of the short-term interest rates. So that that's what, how we're looking at it. Um, the other you know, thing that I thought was interesting was his comments on trade and tariffs and how yeah. you know, we haven't seen that. And Jason, you mentioned this leading into it where they talk about, you know, their business contacts and, and they're discussing it, but they're not reacting to it because they're not seeing it in the data. Right. And I think in, if you look at it sort of globally against the way Powell is thinking about this versus maybe some of the other global central bankers, in 2016, after the Brexit vote, the BOE, Mark Carney, came out with QE, came out with a rate cut because they were trying to preempt any effects, negative effects of Brexit. Not to mention, we didn't know what Brexit was going to bring and what the effects were going to be. But Carney felt that need to preempt it. Jerome Powell saying, no, 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 we got to wait till we see the effect of tariffs and the data. Yes, we're talking to our business contacts. We're hearing about the challenges. But until we see it in that data, we're not changing course. And so now I think that's why we're getting a bit flat. You know, some of the steepener trades that we had seen recently, those are coming off. So you have a flatter choose tens curve. Fives thirties is flattening a bit. Um, and you have the dollar up a little bit. Well, we have seen uh, U.S. stocks uh, actually turn negative. It looks like at least the Dow has turned slightly negative, And certainly that's the S&P and the NASDAQ came off of its highs of the session. What do you think the market heard that it may be... What did it hear from Powell that was different from maybe the initial read of the numbers? Yeah, because that's a turnaround. It's a turn. To the downside. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure, and I do have a note written here about the S&P being divorced from reality, or at <laughs> least this reality, so I don't know what they're looking at. Um, you know, and, and honestly, I think I, I stand by that. I don't think the S&P or equities have really told us anything useful because you know, and even in the era of QE, it was like, oh, well, if the data's weak, that just means more QE is coming. Well, if the data's strong, we rally because it means the economy is good. So I, I haven't felt like equities have really told us anything intelligent for a very long time. So I'm not exactly quite sure how to read them now anyways and why they don't like well, it. We have one stock story that says, you know, stocks pairing gains, as uh, Jay Powell signaled, the Fed intends to continue raising rates as economic growth picks up. I don't, I don't quite get it because we're still kind of early in this cycle. It's good that the economy, <laughs> everybody who comes on seems to talk about growth and what that means for corporate profits, but it could also mean, you know, playing to those valuations that have also run up that maybe a lot of this good news is already factored in. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I think you're right to a point, Carol. I I think there is some of that in there. You know, I also think too, they're going to continue raising rates, but it never seemed like it deterred equities before. So I'm curious as to why they're bothered by it now. And if we're talking about accommodation, and this is what I really would have loved to have heard is (laughs) where was the discussion on the balance sheet? You know, did they talk about it at this meeting or is that going to be for the next meeting? Because I, those are the minutes I want to see because that's what people want to know. More to come. I'm sure Alex Harris, Bloomberg News Bond reporter. Thank you so much. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I wanna drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. 
It is time for the drive to the close. Ryan Dietrich back with us, senior market strategist at LPL Financial. $659 billion in assets under management. Ryan, on the phone from Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, Ryan, I'm just going to cut to the chase. I know you look at the charts, and I'm just curious, uh, with the trade that we just saw coming off of the Fed uh, press conference by Jay Powell, stocks took a leg down. Um, tell me a little bit about your analysis uh, of what the Fed had to say and maybe why investors, equity investors, are maybe a little bit more negative. Sure, Carol. Well, first off, thanks for having me back. But you're right. You know, we definitely have had a little bit of a sell-off here the last couple of minutes, uh, last half hour or so into the close. But that's kind of what we see on Fed days. Honestly, this is one of the more telegraphed Fed meetings we've had in a long time. They didn't rock the boat at all. Let's not forget about seasonality. The second half of September, first half of October, historically can be troublesome. S&P's a five straight months, maybe some type of a sell-off in the midst of, hey, honestly, the economy looks strong. The technicals we get into but still wait, look wait, strong. Wait. It was almost a, a little concern. But, mm-hmm. Ryan, it was almost a, like a 200-point swing on the Dow because initially we rallied, I think, up right. to about 78. We were at about 50, rallied up to about 78. Now we're down about 115 yeah. here just on the Dow. I'm just pulling out one one metric here. Um, You're right. Pretty, I'll, I'll, I'll take swing. it from there for a second. I, this is interesting. Today will be the 65th day in a row, Carol, that the S&P 500 – does not close either up or down 1%. S&P is down 31 basis points as we speak with a few minutes to go. That's one of the longest streaks in history, last year and in the mid-'90s. So we talk about all this volatility and all these headlines out of Washington. It's quite interesting when you follow what the market's doing. The market's actually one of its most calm um, areas it's ever been for the past three months, which is really surprising to a lot of investors, I think. And so, Ryan, as you, as you look ahead, you know, obviously yep. midterms looming – we heard a little bit about trade from Chair Powell as well. What's your biggest worry in the short term, call it the next 30, 60 days? Sure. Well, Jason, that's obviously a great question. I mean, it is the midterms, right? We know historically you tend to get a little bit of a sell-off ahead of midterms. Um, just the uncertainty of what might happen if the Republicans lose the House. But let's be honest, if the Republicans lose the House and it's a split Congress, history tells us when you have a Republican president, that's actually the strongest scenario for stocks. That's something to be aware of. But also, do not forget, so this is a um, midterm year. The fourth quarter of the midterm year is actually one of the strongest fourth quarters. Then the first quarter and second quarter of next year, the pre-election year, those are three of the strongest quarters out of the four-year cycle. So, yeah, we've had a lot of gains heading into this. We're not naive to that. But the odds of a major sell-off purely based on uh, kind of seasonality in the four-year cycle to us doesn't look uh, likely. And, you know, the bulls very well can be in control uh, still wait, 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 for the next wait, wait, wait. You're going too, It's been a busy week. You're going too fast. <laughs> <laughs> so slow down. So your bottom line, you continue to have – a bullish position here? Absolutely, Carol, we do. You know, seasonality strong in the next couple of quarters and overall market breadth. People say there's not a lot of stocks participating. We simply don't see that. Look at tech. Tech's pulled back a little bit, but all of a sudden industrial and healthcare kind of taking that baton. So we think it's a healthy market where different groups are kind of handing off the baton and overall stocks. I mean, come on, you guys can sell them, they go away. So they look for a surprise rally. Well, it's obviously happened. We still think the fourth quarter stocks should uh, continue to do well here. So I want to go back to trade because it was interesting to hear what Chair Powell said uh, about that, where he essentially said, look, we haven't really taken it into account yet, but they're hearing from all the regional Federal Reserve banks that their local members and local CEOs are raising this as a concern. Investors seem to have sort of sloughed off this trade war uh, so far. Is that a mistake in, in your estimation, or are the numbers just not playing through yet? 
Yeah, we don't think it's a mistake. When you look at the benefits of fiscal policy, specifically tax reform, repatriation, and deregulation, they're just monumentally larger than the potential negatives of trade tariffs. We've been saying this since, honestly, April saying that, and we're still in that camp. Now, could people get a little too uh, comfortable after five straight-up months? It could be any reason for a normal sell-off in the tricky September-October months. But overall, November and December usually are strong, and we'd be looking for another buy-the-dip mentality on equities here in the fourth quarter. Any worry, especially... It sounds like, you know, we could continue to see the Fed, you know, raising rates, what that might do if they overshoot uh, Ryan and what that might do to um, economic growth and ultimately corporate profits. Sure. Inflation's obviously Because the Fed historically does that, right? It tends to overshoot sometimes. That's what they do. Exactly. They get the yield curve inverted. But we're not there yet, obviously. And, you know, when you talk about inflation, inflation's starting to rear its ugly head. We're not as concerned yet when you talk about inflation, still relatively modest. But clearly, with a tight labor force, inflation's kind of that big monster that keeps us up a little bit at night. But overall, there's still just more positive than negatives. But that's one we're worried about. So when you dig down into some sectors here, Ryan, what do you like here? Financials, how do you feel about that? I feel like that's a sector that keeps coming up in conversations we have with investors. No, we absolutely do like financials. You know, we expect a steepening yield curve. If you take a look under the surface, what are yields doing? Well, they're going higher. You know, normally you have a flattening yield curve and rates are actually going lower. This is different. This is like the mid-90s where we had a flat yield curve for potentially years in the midst of a good economy. We think that could be playing out again. Also, those benefits of deregulation are good for financials. The last thing I'll say, industrials, they've lagged. We get it. CapEx came in at seven-year highs recently, and no group is more uh, correlated with with CapEx and industrials. We think industrials is a group that really looks good here over the next several quarters. Does M&A activity, which we've had a lot of uh, as of late, uh, and so continued momentum, I think, even today. Uh, Does that tell you anything, though, also about where we are in this market cycle? Well, it really doesn't. I mean, every major peak, we can go back and talk about a major M&A activity that took place at the the start of uh, of the peak, I guess, at the bubble, you could say. But again, looking at what we know, we know we're looking at 20% earnings growth this year, 10% earnings growth in the U.S. next year. We've never had a negative S&P 500 when you see 10% earnings growth going back to 1990. So the earnings are getting us here, and we think they'll keep us going a little higher into next year as well. Ryan Dietrich, you are Senior Market Strategist for LPL Financial, managing over $659 billion in assets. Joining us from down south, Charlotte, North Carolina, thank you, as always, for your thoughts. So here we are, the Bloomberg Global Business Forum, now the One Planet Summit. One day. I know. One day, two conferences. It's pretty amazing. That's how we roll. All of these global leaders and kind of hearing what's on their mind, uh, really getting... Um, that international perspective. Ken Griffin, though, was here earlier, uh, chief executive of uh, Citadel, and he said that there are at least 18 to 24 months left in the market rally, he said, thanks to a, quote, giant adrenaline shot of the U.S. tax overhaul. So we heard that also from Jay Powell. We did indeed. And I have to say that the the Griffin, mm-hmm. the Ken Griffin, Mary Erdos, Jim Coulter, who we're going to hear a little bit more from later, that panel led by Eric Schatzker was to... to uh, to steal a phrase from Tom Keen, killer, killer, killer panel. A lot of good stuff to watch there. <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, we do that, Tom, because we love you. Uh, Griffin cautioned that he's uh, managing his fund for the next economic downturn. He, this was a quote. My position today is very much focused on managing the tail risks for that, he said. And his yeah. biggest concern is the European Union. Yeah, I was I was really interested to, to hear that from him. And a lot of it, you know, people sort of coming and going here. More thoughts to come for sure. We just saw Bill Gates wander by. So, we did you know, just it happens. Bill. Well, and then Theresa May earlier, and I just thought, man, this woman's been really busy. And it isn't quite done in terms of Brexit. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Carol Masser, Jason Kelly, and this is Bloomberg Radio. 
Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.